Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Responding to COVID-19, Pro Bono Legal Services During the Pandemic. This is the Immigration Advocates Network. We harness the power of technology and collaboration to support immigrants and their allies. My name is Jillian Jin, and I work within the organization as an AmeriCorps VISTA to help improve access to justice. Our guest today is Tiffany Graves. Tiffany is an accomplished attorney, former nonprofit executive, and visionary leader with over 20 years of experience advocating for marginalized children, individuals, and families. A graduate of Holland University, her fight for equity and justice for the underserved began while she was in law school at the University of Virginia School of Law, where she was honored for logging the most pro bono hours of any graduating student with the Pro Bono Award. After spending years in private practice with civil defense firms in Jackson, Mississippi, she held executive director positions with the Mississippi Volunteer Lawyers Project, a statewide nonprofit dedicated to providing pro bono legal services to low-income Mississippians and the Mississippi Access to Justice Commission, a Supreme Court-created entity aimed at promoting initiatives to improve and expand access to justice to over 600,000 people living in poverty in Mississippi. She now serves as the first ever National Council for Bradley Arant Bolt and Cummings, LLP, a law firm with 10 offices in six states and the District of Columbia. She is the co-president of the Association of Pro Bono Council, a mission-driven membership organization of over 200 attorneys and practice group managers who run pro bono practices in over 100 of the world's largest law firms. She also serves as co-chair of the ABA's Section of Litigation's Pro Bono Task Force. She has been recognized for her leadership, community service, and commitment to equalizing the justice system with many awards and honors. And with that, I would like to welcome Tiffany. Thank you so much, Jillian. That's that's a lot. <laughs> I appreciate your reading and all. <laughs> it's all good stuff. All good stuff. <laughs> um, so like, let's just jump into the questions. Um, could you first explain the pro bono work that Bradley does? Um, I know I read it a little bit in your description, but just in your own words, what your own role at the firm is. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm very pleased to be in this pro bono counsel position. Uh, they're unique positions. Uh, you mentioned in my bio that I'm the co-president of the Association of Pro Bono Counsel, and our organization uh, boasts about 280 member firms. Uh, and what that means is all of those firms have someone sitting in a position very similar to mine. Um, and those firms span across the globe. Um, but I only said 280. So there aren't, you know, not every firm has this position. It's a very unique position to be in. And I'm pleased to be it at a be in it at a firm like Bradley uh, that truly supports pro bono work and attorneys who want to do pro bono work. Uh, we do a variety of pro bono. Uh, everything from what I would sort of refer to as traditional legal aid pro bono, uh, where we take cases from legal aid organizations, um, you know, they make referrals to the firm and say, you know, this person needs help with a child custody issue, a landlord tenant issue with an immigration issue. Uh, and then I work to find attorneys 
who can take on those cases and assist those clients. So sort of traditional legal aid referrals from nonprofit organizations, uh, but then also, you know, more complex cases that might be protracted in terms of how long we represent the clients, uh, cases, uh, capital cases. We've got about 20 active death penalty cases that we're handling throughout the firm's footprint um, and other criminal pro bono appeals, cases that reach us um, by appointment from district courts uh, and, other, uh, and other places. So it's a wide range. Uh, in some of our offices, we have domestic violence projects where we work in partnership with nonprofit organizations to be able to help uh, individuals who are victims of domestic violence and sexual assault obtain orders of protection. Uh, so it's, it's a nice variety. Um, and I've been doing pro bono work um, sort of at the, the management level long enough to know pro bono is not one size fits all. Uh, I have to be able to offer to our attorneys many different ways to do pro bono. Um, and frankly, that's a fun part of my job. Uh, is looking into ways that I can integrate people into pro bono work and into our pro bono program who may have thought that doing pro bono just wasn't something for them. Uh, and then you find the right opportunity, the right fit, uh, and they're just enthusiastic about it. And sort of once you've gotten them hooked, once you've found that one thing that they enjoy doing, uh, it's typically very easy to, to keep them involved in the program. So my role is all about making pro bono uh, easy and accessible to our attorneys, um, making them want to volunteer. And, and honestly, I don't have to twist arms. Um, I, I work with attorneys who really do understand that there are people who can't afford lawyers, um, but have you know, very high stakes issues uh, and need us to help service them uh, through our talents, our expertise as lawyers as much as we can. So it's not a struggle for me, which is, which is really nice. Um, but it's all about, for me, coordinating our efforts, managing our program, tracking our efforts, making sure that we have good relationships and rapport with our partners in the community who are really on the ground in ways that we aren't, uh, making sure our clients are happy with the services that we're providing to them, those types of things, uh, to ensure that we have a successful and sustainable pro bono program here at Bradley. And you made a comment about um, pro bono not being like one size fit all. And I think that's interesting because obviously, you know, if you're an attorney, like why wouldn't you want to like do pro bono and things like that? So I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about um, what that process looks like of being able to take pro bono and have it fit the attorney so that it suits them more. It is a very personal conversation that I have with attorneys. Um, Interestingly enough, I'm having one of those conversations this afternoon. Uh, one of our attorneys who, when she joined the firm, uh, took on actually a death penalty case with one of the partners uh, who is no longer with the firm, took the case with him um, and sort of left her without that pro bono experience. Um, so she's reached out to me to say, I want to get involved again in our program. I'm not sure that I necessarily want to do a death penalty case, but I need your help figuring out what it is that I should be doing that, you know, will make me sort of feel like I'm contributing to our program. And that conversation, for the most part, is going to be me asking her, what is she passionate about? What are the causes um, that sort of tug at her heartstrings? Um, is she involved in things in the community that we can sort of link to pro bono? You know, are you involved in a children's museum? Are you involved in, 
you know, a big brother's big sister program, you know, those kinds of things where we can say, okay, it seems you enjoy this type of work. These are the types of causes that you give your time or give your money to. How can we find a way to sort of link the pro bono work that you do to the things that already interest you? So it's really a conversation. Um, I will obviously share with her the types of things that we offer in her community, um, just so she's aware of those in case she's not, to say here are ways that you can easily get involved in what we're already doing. But I really want it to be a conversation about the things that interest her, that she finds meaning in, that she finds herself paying attention to, to see if we can build pro bono opportunities around those things. Mm-hmm. So. To do that, if someone brings up like an opportunity that your firm hasn't really explored um, to pursue that, do you guys, you probably make a lot of partnerships with nonprofit organizations. So how do you find those placements? And I mean, there's so many nonprofits around the world, too. So how do, how do you manage that? How do you kind of slim that criteria down? No, you're right. There are tons um, and so many doing fantastic work. Um, So it can be difficult to just say, okay, we're just going to focus on this one to do this type of work um, because there are just so many great organizations out there. Um, So I think once we sort of identify a subject area, then it's up to me and this role to say, are we already working with someone who does this type of work? And if not, you know, then I'm doing some research. Uh, Typically, that means reaching out to my fellow ABCO, Association of Pro Bono Council colleagues. Um, You know, I've had one of my attorneys express an interest in doing X type of work. Um, Are you all working with organizations that do this? Um, So that community of pro bono council professionals uh, has been extremely helpful in helping us, helping all of us who are part of the community find those organizations and opportunities. So that might be where I start. Um, good old Google search uh, sometimes as well to sort of see what's out there. Um, So it's sort of a combination of, you know, some personal outreach to people who do what I do um, and, and, um, you know, have pro bono programs that might already be involved in a certain area of the law or just sort of generalized searching to see what's out there. And then once I've, you know, kind of identified a potential partner, then it's a matter of, of developing a relationship, assuming there wasn't a pre-existing one, you know, of saying, hey, Tiffany, Bur- Tiffany Graves, pro bono counsel at Bradley, we've never had the opportunity to work together before, but I have an attorney who's really interested in, in the type of work that you do, and I would love to find a way for her to be able to do pro bono with your organization. Um, so then we sort of start that conversation. Um, you know, just yesterday, and I, I had a call with an organization in Florida uh, who actually reached out to us to say, we know you've got a Tampa office. Um, we would love to get some of your attorneys engaged in pro bono work. So that's going to work the reverse way. They reached out to us. And now I'm going to set up a time for them to actually meet with our attorneys um, to talk about their opportunities and ways that we can get involved. So it happens organically, you know, when someone just sort of reaches out to you and says, we see you're here and we'd love to engage your attorneys, Um, or it happens because someone approaches me in the office and says, I'm looking for this specific opportunity, or I generally want to do this kind of work. Uh, And that's what I really enjoy about my position, is that I don't know how this kind of stuff is going to come to me from one day to the next, but my role is about finding ways to get people plugged in to help people who really need it. Mm -hmm. And obviously, this work has always been important, always necessary. 
you know, but I'm also wondering when COVID-19 hit and everyone, like all of these services ramped up, you know, what did that transition look for you guys and what changed the most in regards to just everything? It, it absolutely changed everything. Um, you know, for us, and I think this is probably true for just about everyone, um, for law firms and for nonprofit organizations, we had to sort of step back and take stock and make sure that our people were okay first um, before we could extend our hand to help the people in the community internally. We wanted to make sure that our attorneys were, you know, okay and, you know, folks were receiving support from the firm in ways that were going to make them, you know, sort of be okay during this wild time in our world. Um, So, you know, we sort of stepped back, made sure everyone, you know, had what they needed, um, and then started reaching out to some of our nonprofit partners to say, how can we support you at this time? Uh, We have the capacity, we have the bandwidth, um, we have our resources in place as a law firm, human and otherwise, technology, those kinds of things. How can we support what, what you are doing? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, lots of pivots all of us have made. You know, we have been very involved for years in in-person legal clinics, in-person help desks, mm-hmm. inviting clients to our offices to meet with us, going to meet clients at coffee shops and at their homes to get them to fill out documents and sign affidavits and those sorts of things. So all of that changed. Um, and it was, okay, I still need to handle this legal matter for this person. Uh, but what does that look like? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we made it to online platforms like everyone else. You know, we found ourselves having court proceedings online and figuring out what that's like, because that's a whole new legal landscape for a lot of people. Um, so it, it brought about a lot of change. Um, But what I can say is we quickly made the adjustments that we needed to make as a firm um, and within our pro bono program to make sure that we could still provide the high quality legal services that we're used to providing to our pro bono clients. Um, So we brought on a lot of new clients last year um, with COVID related issues, you know, sort of landlord tenant issues, domestic violence. Uh, I mentioned that we have several of our offices where we do Uh, domestic violence work, helping to obtain protection orders for victims of domestic violence and sexual assault. Well, I think we've all read about the spikes in domestic violence cases throughout the pandemic. Um, With everyone being locked down, unfortunately, for some that meant violent homes um, and sort of violatal tendencies. Uh, So we found ourselves having to handle even more of those types of cases than we ever have as a firm. Uh, And what that meant is in-person hearings in some cases, even during the height of the pandemic. So I had to find attorneys who were going to be comfortable with, you know, putting on a mask and going into court back in April and May and June when things were still pretty locked down as a a country and as a world. Um, So I, I say all that to say we did what we needed to do to make sure that we were still Uh, having an active pro bono program and letting our clients know that we were going to be there for them as their pro bono attorneys. Mm -hmm. And could you talk a little bit more about the pivot to remote services? So you talked about how you guys started using new online platforms. So um, how was adapting to that? And did that come from like the partnerships you made or, you know, just the decision making process and what platforms do we use? 
um, what works best. So any comments about that transition? Sure. And, you know, there there are and continue to be a lot of discussions around sort of what's the best platform. You know, my firm was initially not a Zoom firm um, just for privacy and other concerns. I mean, I think we all sort of read about the Zoom bombs that were happening right in the beginning um, and just confidentiality and privacy concerns around Zoom in the beginning prevented us from really wanting to use that platform. I know things are so much better now. Um, so much so that the firm once said we couldn't use Zoom at all um, for our interactions within the firm, and that has now been lifted, and we can actually use Zoom. So we started out really only using WebEx um, for our meetings. Um, and I think while the world was getting more familiar with Zoom, um, you know, when you weren't using Zoom and you have, you know, your pro bono clients, for example, not your sort of corporate paying clients, um, they weren't always, I mean, they weren't familiar with these video platforms. Um, you know, they know FaceTime on their phones, um, but they don't know Zooms and WebEx and GoToMeeting and all of these things. So one of the things I had to really talk with my pro bono attorneys about is we do want to give our attorney or our clients the option of meeting with us by video, of not just picking up the phone and doing it that way. But what that's gonna mean is that you're gonna have to step them through the process of downloading WebEx and, and that you've gotta, you've gotta take the time that's gonna really be necessary to make sure they are comfortable with the platform and getting it on their phone or computer or however they're gonna communicate with you and not make assumptions that they know how to click on a link and do all of those things. So we did have some of those conversations to make sure that we're being sensitive to our clients' needs. And also not just automatically sending a WebEx link when folks may not wanna meet by video. Um, You know, we started a legal clinic in January of last year to support black owned small business owners and nonprofit leaders. Uh, And it's interesting, we have that clinic monthly and we give our clients the option Uh, And these are business owners and, like I said, leaders of nonprofits. Uh, We give them the option of video meetings or phones. Mm -hmm. uh, And most of them still choose to do phone meetings. Um, So I think one of the things it's taught us is to sort of not make assumptions that uh, any of our clients, but certainly our pro bono clients, want to operate the way that we're sort of used to operating with with everybody. Um, But to really have a conversation about what's going to work best um, for people, particularly in this time. So I think one of the silver linings uh, of, of the pandemic, and we're all searching for those, um, is, is really, you know, having deepening relationships with people, um, you know, understanding that people have a lot of challenges that we know and, and many that we don't know, uh, and making sure we're sensitive to those and trying to adapt and adjust in ways that are going to make sure that the, the attorney-client relationship we have is a successful one, is a productive one. Uh, for the needs of the client. And those are some of the things that I'd like to think we always thought about, but I know we're really thinking about now. Yeah. And I I was just going to ask you this, doing those services, like just over the phone, not seeing their face. um, Is there a very like big lack of connection? And, you know, because I think that's an important part of doing pro bono services is making that connection with your client, you know, having that relationship. So I'm wondering, how do your attorneys feel that they've kind of lost that personal aspect of that work? 
I, I absolutely think that it has been challenging to only kind of have the, the, the video call or phone and not have those in-person connections. Um, you know, when we would go to legal clinics and, and have our help desk and do it in person, you know, oftentimes our, our attorneys, you know, who just went for the limited scope reason of providing advice or have, you know, helping someone to draft the document and then I'm done. Um, oftentimes they would come back and make that person a client. They would get in touch with me and say, I met Jane Doe at the legal clinic. Um, I helped her draft her, you know, complaint against her landlord, but I actually want to represent this person beyond the clinic. Um, and I found that happened when they were able to actually sit across the table with someone and see their emotions. Sometimes you might have a little child with you or you might have another relative. You get to know each other, you establish a rapport. Um, we, we've lost that. Um, and there's only so much that you can do by video. Um, I will say though, thinking back to that clinic that I mentioned that we started in January, when our attorneys have been able to have video meetings with those small business owners and nonprofit leaders, those tend to be the times where they decide they want to make a client out of them after the clinic, more so than when they just talk to them over the phone. So this is what we have right now, hopefully not too much longer. Um, but I still think there are opportunities for personal connection, but you have to be really intentional about it in ways that it's just easier to do when you're in person with people. And I think it's interesting you brought up, you know, everything is new, you know, getting on a video call, like, um, you know, access to justice is, was a very large problem during this pandemic. And, and I'm wondering how was the transition for your attorneys and teaching clients, you know, like, this is how you get on a video call. Like, was there a lot of training involved in that? Or was it just like conversations you talked about too, like being sensitive, not assuming. So what did those conversations look like with your attorneys and how did they adapt to that? Yeah, I, I was really proud of the attorneys um, and I continue to be because this obviously continues to be uh, a, a concern and something we're dealing with as a world. Um, but, you know, it was it really was a matter, you know, of, of the clinics that we've had where we, we do allow for video meetings. I usually have that first touch with the clients to sort of say to them, you know, you've requested to meet with this attorney by video. Here's how we meet with clients by video, you know, and I'll sort of send kind of a you know, sketch of, of how WebEx works, suggest to them um, that they go ahead and download the platform before the call and provide some instructions, typically the, the instructions that WebEx sort of provides to anybody about how you do that. And then also make myself available if they have questions about it before the meeting with the attorneys. So mm -hmm. that's what I have done with sort of my initial touch with the attorney, uh, with the clients before those attorney meetings. But then I also mentioned to the attorneys, you know, there's a good chance that when your call starts at noon uh, and you're logged into WebEx, but you don't see that client, that he or she is still trying to figure out how to get it on their laptop and have that call with you. Um, so I need you to be patient and you have the person's phone number. Go ahead and give them a call to see if they're having any trouble. Because the last thing we would want is someone to be nervous and anxious and frustrated about the technology uh, and that cuts away from the time we're able to spend together to deal with why we've even been brought together in the first place. So I suggest to them a couple of minutes goes by and you don't see them pop up on the WebEx, go ahead and reach out to them and call 
see if they're having challenges, see if it's just, oh, I'm not logged on yet or what it is. Um, and if it gets to be something where they can't get it on their laptop, then just make it a phone call. That's fine. Let them know it's okay. Put their minds at ease, those kinds of things. So those are the conversations that we have internally to try to be sensitive to the needs of our clients who are participating in those remote programs that we fortunately have still been able to offer despite not being able to do it in person. Mm -hmm. And obviously during COVID-19, I, I can imagine that you guys had a large increase in pro bono clients. And I'm wondering, you know, during that time, did a lot of nonprofits and partners, did they reach out to you saying we need more attorneys or um, like, how did you handle just that sudden abrupt increased need in services? Yeah, it's, you know, and, and it obviously continues, you know, I kind of mentioned that, you know, when, when everything sort of first happened, we wanted to sort of make sure that our folks were okay, that people had what they needed, the support they needed from the firm. So before we sort of said, okay, let's go out and try to help as many folks we can, you know, outside of the firm with issues, we wanted to make sure that internally our folks were okay. And once we did that, we had some outreach with nonprofits. The thing that we discovered when we started reaching out to our nonprofits uh, was that a lot of them weren't ready. Uh, they had some work to do internally from a technology standpoint to be able to support those client meetings and the work that they do. So we had to give them a little time to do what they needed to do. Um, but boy, when they got ready, <laughs> we really needed to be ready because that's when that sort of onslaught of case referrals uh, happened throughout the firm. So, you know, it's been, continues to be, you know, us doing everything we can to try to help the, help the people who are referred to us uh, from, you know, what tends to be our legal aid partners, uh, the volunteer lawyers programs that have offices and, you know, in every community in which we uh, have offices, those are the folks that we try to support. We try to prioritize support, frankly, because we know those are often emergency needs, particularly when you're talking about domestic violence and landlord tenant issues. Um, so we do what we can to try to circulate those cases in whatever office might be at issue so that we can try to help people as quickly as we can. And I will say the law firm response, you know, this is Bradley, but there are firms across the country, across the world, um, who have really activated their attorneys, ramped up their pro bono programs, um, doing everything they can to circulate these cases as quickly as possible to attorneys so that we can try to fill some of this need. Mm -hmm. And there seems like there's a very strong relationship between uh, your firm, your attorneys, with the nonprofit organization and legal aid partners that you work with. I'm wondering, um, while they're obviously while they're pivoting, it was kind of like a waiting game, but um, what yeah. kind of support do you need from those organizations? And, you know, is there any like key criteria or characteristics that you look for in partners? Good question. I mean, without a doubt, we couldn't do the work that we do without our nonprofit partners. Um, they provide tremendous support to this pro bono program. Uh, mentorship is a big one. Um, a lot of our attorneys take on cases that are outside of their regular practice areas because they feel compelled to help. Immigration is a good example of that. We do some immigration work as a firm, but the bulk of the immigration work that we do is in the pro bono space. Mm -hmm. uh, and we need the support 
of nonprofit partners, of attorneys who work at these organizations who will be willing to mentor and advise our attorneys as they're taking on those cases. So that's a big way that I think we support one another in these relationships. Um, the, the key is that the case referrals themselves. We get our cases from our legal aid partners, from our nonprofit partners. Um, so that is a big one. I mean, that's not to say that we don't take cases that sort of reach the firm directly because we do. Um, you know, you'll have someone who might contact one of our attorneys and say, I need help with X, Y, or Z. Um, but the bulk of what we get is uh, from our nonprofit organizations, case referrals from them. So we get our cases from them. We get the support to handle the cases from them. Um, and, and those two things are essential, you know, frankly, to any law firm pro bono program. I don't know anybody who operates and manages one of these programs who doesn't work hand in hand with nonprofit partners. Uh, we just simply can't do what we do without them. Uh, and it's so important when you're establishing these relationships that you're constantly checking in with your nonprofit partners to make sure that it's working the way that everybody wants it to you know, putting, you know, having a real client-centered approach to what you're doing. And I'm fortunate uh, in, in all of our markets to be able to work with some organizations who are truly invested in their committee, in their communities, and truly invested in working with law firms that will use their manpower to provide as much support as they can for their client base. Mm -hmm. And you talked about doing a lot of in-person work with these nonprofit organizations. Um, so it's not even the pro bono clients. Like, how are you establishing a relationship with these nonprofits when everything is online? I'm kind of wondering, has that been difficult, you know, trying to do that kind of outreach virtually? It, it's, it's not ideal. I will say that. Uh, can it be done? Is it being done? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I mentioned that I had a call with a nonprofit in Florida yesterday afternoon. Um, I've never stepped foot in their offices. Um, you know, I've never, sh you know, shaken the hand of anybody who works there, um, but it's a group that I believe we will work with at some point uh, in the very near future. Uh, and that relationship has been exclusively established by phone and by video calls. Um, and trust me, as soon as I can travel to Florida, that's one of the first places I'll go. When I do my office visits, and that's something that anybody who sits in my position, we, we regularly do, is spend time in our offices. And, and my firm has 10 offices, six states and, uh, and DC. We spend time in our offices getting to know our attorneys, but we also spend time in community getting to know our nonprofit partners, new and existing. I can't tell you how excited I am to get back out there mm -hmm. uh, and, and have those in-person connections and deepen and cultivate those relationships uh, because that's such an essential part of my role and what I bring to the firm. Uh, and such an essential part of the work. Uh, you have to have good relationships. You have to have contacts at these organizations that sort of get you and get your firm and get your attorneys and understand and appreciate why you do what you do for their clients. And you can do all of that by phone and by video and by email, uh, but there's nothing like being able to sit across the table or to have lunch um, and interact with folks in person when you're really trying to strengthen and deepen those relationships. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And those relationships are everything too. That's what makes the work fun also. <laughs> That's right, absolutely. No, no, I think this leads us to our last question. And I think a very important one um, is how, 
how has COVID-19 changed pro bono legal services for everyone? So any like big realizations or key takeaways or even things that um, you plan to keep, like those changes that you're talking about, like the online platforms? I definitely think we will continue to find ways to interface with clients online um, when when in-person operations aren't um, feasible, because there are times when clients just can't come to a health desk, just can't come to a legal clinic. Um, so how can we still ensure that we're meeting with people, meeting them where they are in ways that work with them? Uh, and I do think some of this remote work, um, remote meetings uh, is still going to be the way to do that. I think that is something we will find a way to keep to benefit to the benefit of our clients uh, and, and, and building those relationships. So I do think that will stay around. And I think that's a good thing. I really do. Mm -hmm. um, I also have found during this period uh, a real desire among the law firm pro bono community to collaborate even more than we already have. Um, this is going to be and already is a big uh a big issue for us. How do we handle all the cases that are coming down the pike, uh, particularly in the eviction area, but not just in, you know, landlord tenant housing, but just on every level. And what we have found ourselves doing is having conversation as firms about how we do that in the pro bono space. So I think another good thing that's come from this and something that I hope we keep is a desire to collaborate. How can we build networks to support our nonprofit port partners who will in turn support the clients who need these services? So just sort of the collaborative nature and, and, and really sort of strengthening the pro bono community uh, as a way to move forward uh, some, of the, some of the work that has to be done and will need to be done in the coming months, years, decade, quite frankly, um, on the heels of the pandemic are, are some of the things that I think we, I, I certainly hope we will keep our focus on going forward. So, you know, I mentioned silver linings. There have been some, you know, it, it we have been able to, I think, connect, connect more as, as people because we've been forced to find ways to, to do it. Um, so there are aspects of that that I do hope we keep and that we're always um, now even more mindful and intentional about how we interact with one another going forward. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I think those are all great ideas to end on. Tiffany, thank you so much for your time, your expertise, and just great conversation. I think this information is so timely, and it's going to benefit a lot of other pro bono attorneys, um, nonprofits, just any legal service providers. So thank you. Absolutely. I, I thank you for the opportunity to share my perspectives and the work that I do and you know, we, we are facing even more challenges, uh, but that just makes the work even more important and valuable. And I look forward to working with my pro bono counsel colleagues, nonprofit partners, attorneys, and others to do what we can to help the people who really need it in the face of some really challenging times.